go into a Facebook comment gonna... and throw that around there because that's where that garbage comment belongs. <laughs>
Yeah, they don't seem to be terribly worried about some sort of big platoon split with him, which is cool. Uh, when you have a great approach, it sort of downplays some of those other weaknesses that might exist in your game. So if you do have trouble with lefties, it's not as big of a deal if you can draw a walk. It's not as big of a deal if the coach can know that, well, yeah, he has trouble with lefties, but he is going to swing at premium pitches. He is going to give himself the best possible chance to have success against those lefties. That's really nice to see. Plus, the plus defense at first is always going to make you valuable, You know, even though first base isn't a premium position defensively. Uh, in order to make room for him on the roster, or the reason why he really got to stay up, is Eduardo Alvarez was put on the 10-day injured list with a quad strain. What I'm hearing, it's going to be longer than 10 days. It's going to be more like the entire month of August, perhaps. And so, you know. Well, this is the same thing that put him down last time, right? I think it is, but I think it's the other leg, honestly. Um, and oh, so, get out of here. I think it is. I think it's the other <laughs> leg. And so, you know, who knows with Alvarez? He's been hitting. He just keeps hitting every time he comes back. And so, you know, it sucks to see him go on the injured list. It does make room for some other younger guys, but honestly, he's a guy who they need to be giving chances to. They need to see what he's got just in case he might be a part of the future or if nothing else to showcase him for other teams, if he can hit and they want to trade him because they got other guys behind him or they want somebody better defensively, he needs to be on the field playing. And so it's too bad to see him go down with a quad strain. Hopefully he bounces back quicker than they expect, but I hope they don't rush him because they have a habit of rushing guys. Don't want him to do that with him. We're going to also fit in in the roster news section a conversation about day three of the MLB draft. The last time we recorded, it was after uh, round two. And so we recorded just before they had round three. So we want to get in a little conversation because the Royals did some exciting stuff on day three, I think, uh, to really give themselves some value in guys there. So, Mike, tell me a couple guys that they took on day three, which is rounds 11 through 20, that you're excited about in this draft, or at least a guy who's exciting you on day three. Well, Overall, I was more excited about day three than I was day two. And possibly the reason some of the moves they made on day two were so they could sign some of these guys on day three. The guy that I'm going with was our 12th round pick, Jack Pineda, out of Baylor. He, I think, played shortstop at Baylor, but is a guy that could probably, like a, like a Nick Lofton, who I believe also went to Baylor. Yeah. Um, going to be a guy that can probably play multiple positions on the field. Has a very high hit tool. Has a little bit of speed, although I don't know if he's going to be a base dealer necessarily, but he can run. And so you're banking that he's got this hit tool, has a solid approach. I wouldn't call it a great approach, but it's good. You're hoping you can unlock a little bit of power from him in the minors to, you know, become an everyday kind of player. Even if he doesn't unlock that, there's a good chance he becomes a utility guy or a super utility guy in MLB. He's kind of got a low, I think what's kind of a lower floor or a higher floor than what you're used to seeing in that, that late in the draft. And so he, I think he had been planning on transferring. Maybe I can't remember exactly. Yeah, He was going to transfer to LSU. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. Uh, and so he's, he's an exciting guy. I think if they can unlock some of the uh, power in his bat, you've got yourself a really solid uh, prospect uh, in, in that, that should be able to move somewhat quickly. So I was happy with Jack Panita and I just wanted to throw in a mention there that we got three high school guys in the last three rounds. All of those guys are also intriguing. We'll just see if we're able to sign all of them. I know one of them has already said he will sign. Uh, he's not signed, but he said he will. So we'll see if we get those guys because they're going to be very interesting. One of them is a, just a monster, like a six six. Oh, he's, he's real. He's huge. Real, real uh, interesting cat there, and he's supposedly a two way guy, a guy that both pitches and play and hits. So uh, we will see. Yeah, it's uh, the numbers that are coming out for their signing of Gravin Cross and things like that make me really wonder, like, are they going to be able to afford all of these guys? Because they're not giving Gavin Cross any underslot. They're not, they're giving Caden Wallace overslot by a significant amount, more than I thought they would. And so the question is, where's that money going to come from? 
Hopefully they can find I it. I think though, it because comes from those day two guys. <laughs> you think it comes from hope. like uh, Mason Barnett? I, and, I'm uh, hoping it comes from okay. some of yeah some of those guys. And that'd in be an three, interesting four, five, move six. to just. I mean, I don't know. I they hope. Hopefully the Royals have an idea in mind of what they're doing and the amount of money they're going to need to take to sign all these guys because it would be great to get all of this talent. I thought the draft was really good overall, and I'd like to see all this talent in the minor league system to see what they can do developing. The guys I was particularly excited about on day three were mostly pitchers. I thought it was a really smart idea to draft hitting early and pitching late because they look at a lot of these guys. I mean, the guy that the Royals face today, uh, the race pitcher, that lefty who's been really good for them. I think he was like a, like a 11th round pick or something like that. 12, like he was, he was not an early pick. And, and the thing is, I think there's just more value to be found with pitching later in the draft. And so they took a guy in the 11th round named David Sandlin, I'm excited about. I think is really a buy low candidate as, as a draft pick. Got him in the 11th round. We'll probably have to pay him, I'm hearing like 400 grand, which would be like fifth round money, basically top of the fifth round money, um, to get him away from Oklahoma. He was an Oklahoma pitcher who struggled during the regular season, but really turned it on in the postseason. Had a couple amazing performances in the postseason for Oklahoma. One against Kansas State, one against Texas A&M in the College World Series, not in the final, but like somewhere in, along the way, uh, where he struck out 12 in like seven innings. It was a great performance from him. A guy who added a little bit of velocity later in the season to where he was sitting 93-94 and is much more effective there. Really good slider. His slider, in terms of its pitch metrics, is already above Major League average. And so really good slider, good curveball, also throws a changeup. So four pitch guy, a guy I'm really excited about who, if he takes a year or two to develop, you got a really good uh, draft pick on your hands there and a solid pitcher. Another guy I'm intrigued by uh, later on in the draft, I can't remember exactly what round, something like uh, 13, 14, 15, something like that. They took a guy named Ben Sears out of Houston, a big, tall, right-handed pitcher who throws pretty hard, but for some reason doesn't strike a lot of guys out. But what he also doesn't do is he doesn't walk a lot of guys. That's what intrigues him about me. He's a guy who's got the body to throw harder and maybe have some better stuff. So maybe his stuff develops a little bit. But if he can hang on to that control and not walk people, continue to be a strike thrower, that'll be something that right now, frankly, the Royals don't have a ton of in their system. And so I'd like to see him get in there and see if he can stay a strike thrower, maybe tick his stuff up a little bit, and he could be a legit uh, rotation piece moving forward. So yeah, really excited about a couple of the guys. I also like the Pineda pick on day three. Thought that was a good idea. They took an outfielder from Vanderbilt. I really like as well. Yeah, Vaz just, is that his Vaz? Name? Yeah, yeah. Another guy I think mm-hmm. is a really intriguing and Little of course spark plug kind of guy. Big hit tool on him too. Yeah, I mean if you're a spark plug and you can hit the baseball, what else do you need to be able to do? You know. Uh, and yeah. so yeah, I'm I'm excited about some of the guys they took on day three. But let's get to the baseball that actually happened on the field this week, which was only a little bit of it. There were only three games last week. The Royals went two and one in those three games against the Tampa Bay Rays, which brings their overall record to 38 and 57. Mike, what did you think of the Rays series? The Royals got a win to start the second half. It was awesome to see, in my opinion. Great to see them beat a good team, even though that good team was injured. I thought they played pretty well. How do you think they did in that Rays series? I thought they played pretty well, too. Their bullpen still seems to be struggling a little bit at times. But yeah, they, they, I think they, they played a solid brand of baseball. I think what you're seeing is when these young guys are in the lineup, they're going to produce runs. You're not going to have a day where it's, hey, we got two hit today and nobody else got on base. We didn't get a guy to second base all day. Like th- this group can score runs if you allow them to. 
you know, and it's, it was good to see MJ Melendez lead off a little bit. And that's kind of going to lead me into my strong performer of the week. I had MJ Melendez as the strong performer of the week. I enjoy seeing him lead off. I think he's a good choice, maybe just against righties or something like that. If you, if you think against lefties, you have a better option there, but he was five for 12 this week. That's phenomenal. Two doubles, one RBI. He didn't have quite as many uh, chances to knock runs in because he was leading off a lot. And so I, I think he's the, got the ability to do that. He takes such solid at-bats that you're never going to feel like you get cheated when MJ Melendez is in that leadoff spot. So hopefully he can keep doing that, whether he's behind the plate or at DH or even in the outfield. Yeah, he, he really had a great week, and it's great to see him sort of take the ball the other way. And, you know, and he's really – you're, if you forget that he's a catcher, he's kind of your prototypical leadoff hitter, right? Like, because he takes great plate appearances, he's really patient, and he runs well. I mean, it's weird to say, but he's a catcher not, yeah, who not runs well, bases not just for well. a catcher. No, not like Bobby Wood Jr. does. But he's fast. He's a fast But he's guy. fast. He is a fast runner, you know? And so you would think catcher, oh, too slow, but, but he's not. He's actually quite fast for a catcher and fast just for anybody. And so, yeah, interesting to see him in the leadoff spot. I think it's working pretty well. I say leave them there. Uh, they have they are have running into the injury bug a little bit right now. Um, so we'll see if what they got to do just to put a lineup together with Bobby Wood Jr. got hurt tonight um, in in the game to, or in the game today. It's day to day right now, but we'll see. Hamstrings are always tricky. You want to be really cautious with those. Um, my strong performer for the week is a pitcher, which we haven't done a lot of recently. Uh, yeah, I this almost took at all, him. Really. I filled out the outline before you this time, which I is very rare. Took him. But I knew you were going to want to talk about it, so I didn't because I'm a nice person yes, that way. I took Brady Singer, even though he started only one game, and nobody could start more than one game this week because there were only three games played. Um, but he did start one game, went six innings, gave up one earned, had 12 strikeouts and two walks, pitched a, an amazing game yesterday. One of those awesome performances that sometimes Singer can have where both his two-seam fastball and his slider are both on. And when that's the case, the other team really just has virtually no chance unless he yeah. makes some sort of fielding mistake or something or has kind of a blow up blue or fluky inning or something like that. But he was just on the entire time. And it was great to see the slider down and in was missing tons of bats against left-handers. He threw a couple changeups in there that were really good. I saw a strikeout on a changeup as well. I'd still like to see him throw a few more changeups most of the time. I'd like to see, see it be more around 15% usage, but man, you can't argue with the results. And so far, since he's been back starting, I think his ERA is around three, six, you know, and what did I say, Mike, do you remember what I said when I saw that game that he had in the minors where he was throwing his changeup effectively and throwing it quite often? What did I say? Remind our I audience. I can't remember what happened to me yesterday. You expect me. All to right. I'll, I'll remind you what, the, I'll remind you what I said. You I said that this could like that. that Come on. <laughs> I'll remind you what I said. Then. <laughs> I said that if he throws this change up like this, he could be a three and a half ERA guy. And that's basically what he's been since he's been back, right? He can be a number three, a three and a half ERA guy, a guy who's going to go out and give you enough innings. He doesn't, he's not as a pitch efficient as I would like him to be because sometimes he wastes too many pitches, but man, what a performance from him. If he can come out and give you six, seven strong with, you know, a one earned run and 12 strikeouts, you're going to applaud that every day of the week. And, and Singer's kind of the guy that I look at when you wonder what do you have to have to be a really effective pitcher with a two-seamer? I think he's a good guy to look at. I think his average two-seamer is about where you can, where you have to be. You have to get to at least Brady Singer level with a two-seamer to be effective. Now, he happens to have a slider that can be a plus pitch as well, but the two-seamer is very strong. 
but you cannot be somebody who has a two seamer below Brady Singer with even an average or above average secondary pitch and think you're going to be able to just lay guys down. He's doing a much better job now locating that, bringing it back over the outside corner to righties and back over the inside corner to lefties for, for an out pitch for that, for his strikeout pitch. He's, they say like, like, a, and I think they mentioned this on the broadcast, like a majority of his strikeouts are coming looking like he's leading the league yeah. since he came back in strikeouts looking. And that's because he's doing that classic Greg Maddox thing. Although Greg Maddox threw 84 when he did it. Uh, and he was also which doing was, it with changeups. Yeah. Maddox was so. <laughs> well, he, I mean, whatever, whichever pitch he wanted to, he, he could do it with his yeah, two really, yeah, changeup, yeah. whatever, but you know, bring it inside to a lefty and let it come back over the inside corner and you get the strikeout that way. He's also doing that to righties, which you didn't see a whole lot of before this year. And that's really cool to see. So as long as he keeps it going up mentally, you know, up top, sometimes he can sort of break down a little bit, but I think he's going to have a strong finish to the year. And the bonus is assuming they get somebody in here who can develop him, that changeup should only get better and better as it we should. That, that, that's so, what's truly exciting about him, right? Like what if that changeup? takes a step forward in the off season. What if it gets a little bit better? My Lord, are people in trouble if that changeup gets any better? Because if it becomes a true pitch that he can go to with regularity, he's got three plus pitches then, or at least three 55 to 60 pitches, right? Yeah, two because, plus and one right, that's average for him would be right phenomenal. Right now, right now the changeup is probably 40, 45 as a grade. It's, it's pretty If bad. it gets to 50, <laughs> people are screwed. Right. Like if it gets to 50, they're in trouble. He gets some swing and misses and some some weak contact off it right now. But that's just because people don't know what's coming. They don't expect yeah. it. If they if they if he can get it to average to major league average and can mix it in a little bit more, people are really, really in trouble because then they just really won't know what's coming from him day to day, pitch to pitch at bat to at bat. It'll always be a struggle facing Brady Singer at that point. I'm really excited to see what he looks like coming into next year if they get a competent pitching coach in here. I think that'll be really exciting. Another pitcher had a not great week this week. Another guy that sort of the Royals are counting on pretty heavily right now. Mike, tell us about a pitcher who struggled for us named Brad Keller. Yeah, Brad Keller had been doing pretty well, and he started this game off pretty well that he had this week, but it ended in somewhat disaster. Four innings pitched, four hits, four earned runs. What got him? What always gets Royals pitchers, he walked five guys. And he kind of worked his way out of it early on, but you can't keep walking guys and expect not to give up runs, especially when you're a Brad Keller and you don't strike anybody out. Like, you're not a strikeout guy. So he, he the walk bug, he succumbed to the the many, many people he kept putting on base, and he had to, he had to go. And so we ended up losing that game as a result. But uh, Brad Keller, not so not so good this time, hopefully next week. You can get back to early, you know, getting strikes early in counts, getting ground balls, which he was doing that day, and not putting guys on base. Let's do that. Yeah, there were a lot of people talking about, well, when they went and played in that Toronto series and Cal Eldred couldn't go because he's not vaccinated, they walked eight people the whole series, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they come back and they walk eight people in the first game or something like that. In, in Brad <laughs> Keller's second start. game, but yes. <laughs> yeah, whatever. What? No, I think it was the first because Keller started that first game, right? And they lost. And then Singer last night really? had that great performance and they won. I think so. Okay, they lost Keller's right. start. Right? I don't know. Yeah. 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 So, you know, is it a coincidence that Cal Elder rejoins the team and <laughs> walks come with him, baby? It's like we left all of our, our th strike throwing up in Canada where, you know, it wanted to stay safe from COVID or something. Uh, and so, yeah, rough to see that from Brad Keller. 
Uh, hopefully he gets back to not walking people because his numbers, I actually put out a tweet that day before his start that were, it was like, hey, Keller's been pretty solid for us this year, honestly. He's got an ERA in the high threes and this and the, and the big difference is he's not walking as many people. Of course, then he comes out and walks five guys and gives up four runs and four innings. Thank you, Brad Keller. I look like a dick now. Making me um, look like an idiot. <laughs> making me look like an idiot. Um, yeah. So my weak performer is somebody who also is not doing great as a pitcher, but I think it's because he's hurt, honestly. Uh, and that's Josh Stamont. He came out, only had made one appearance in this series, threw one inning, gave up two earned on three hits. His velocity was way down. He's throwing like 94, 95. He had a fastball that just registered 90 miles an hour, which for Josh Stamont is insanely low. And so I honestly think he's hurt. I think that that's going to hurt things like his trade value, which isn't a big deal because he's still got many, many years left um, before he's a free agent. And so they could just wait and trade him next year, but they got to do something to get Josh Stamont healthy. This is become a, becoming a problem for him, like the health issues. And so, you know, maybe they shelve him for a little while. I don't know. But if you're not, if Josh Stamont isn't throwing 98 to a hundred, he's not that good as a reliever, honestly. He's just a basically maybe average at best reliever. And, you know, you don't want that from him. You want him throwing 98, 99, 100 and really laying guys down, smoking them out, you know, that. So hopefully, I I don't know. I expect an IL stint for him soon, honestly, because there's no reason he should be throwing 94. If he's Josh Stamat, you got to be throwing 99. So hopefully either they can do something with him and get his, you know, velocity back, or he can take some rest time and, and go on the IL because it's not working right now for him. Yeah, it's sad to see because one, you thought maybe he would be a throw in for a trade. Two, that bullpen is already not very deep. <laughs> and so no, it's, you it's, take him out of it and it's looking not great. It, but it's a freaking kit it's a freaking kiddie pool out there right now. That's how deep this bullpen <laughs> is, okay? It's freaking you know, it, it's, it's a puddle it's really bad because of urine well, today, on the side of the <laughs> today, yeah, it's a puddle. Yeah. T- today on the <laughs> Uh, on Twitter, some, when Clark came in to close out the ninth, well, who was it? Lynn Worthy, I think, tweeted out, Amir Garrett is warming up in the bullpen. And I'm like, wow, you have a two-run lead and you're considering putting Amir Garrett in at the, in the ninth to close out. The, he has an ERA like over seven or something like that. And so, you know, that's how bad things are for the Royals right now. And it's not going to get any better. They have a long run of consecutive games coming up. They are They're playing every day for like the next 12 days. And so it's going to be a hard stretch here for the next few weeks. Expect to see Carlos Hernandez oh, yeah. back um, up to throw bullpen innings. Expect to see Foster Griffin up at some point. I think Gabe Spire's already out there, but expect to see him start coming maybe into games. Megden will be back at some yeah. point. Yeah, they're going to be a lot of rotation in the bullpen soon. Young guys, old guys, they're all sort of mixing in. I'm excited to see the young guys. That's why my theme for this week is it's seasoning season. So that's what everybody's talking about right now. Well, what's the second half going to be? It's time to get seasoning for these young guys. So it's seasoning season. That's all I want to see. I want to see young guys. I want to see them out there playing. I want to see them making mistakes so that they can learn from them. And yeah, they make some, they make quite a few, but that's all right. It's, you know, they're, they're doing it in the right way, which is make those mistakes while you're learning when your team is completely out of contention. And then next year, when it looks like we should be taking a step forward, make sure you're, you're, you're solving those mistakes. You're getting better. You're growing all the time. My theme is stay healthy and compete. And I know we just talked about Josh Stama possibly being injured. Bobby Witt Jr. went down today with a hamstring. Hopefully that's a short-term thing. Uh, Olivares went out this week as well. So from the rest of the time here on, my, my two things are, one, stay healthy, and two, compete. 
be a competitive baseball team on a regular basis, especially in September, you're going to come up against some teams that are in the same position as you are that are out of it, playing a lot of young guys, stuff like that. Stay healthy and compete. I don't want to see any long-term injuries from that young group. I don't want to see any long-term injuries from our pitchers, but I want them to uh, be competitive. Show me some competitive baseball. It's going to be exciting. The, the end of the year is, is always a fun time to watch because you know at some point Massey's coming up. You know at some point uh, you're going to see Zerpa probably throw again. So I'm excited for those guys. It's really, really, really important to like, subscribe, rate, review, and do all those things for this podcast on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build towards something that we can really enjoy and helps us find a larger community. It also lets us know that we're doing something right on here. So the more you like and subscribe and that sort of thing, the more content we want to make. Mike is working on a video right now. We're going to do another video early in midweek, a 60-second recap, because you all really liked those 60-second recap we did earlier. So we're going to do another one. So the more you like and subscribe, the more content we put out. Plus, Mike gets all of his self-esteem from our subscriber numbers. So help him feel better. Look at his face. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see how sad his face looks. It's just so sad looking and kind of chubby and weird. <laughs> Pretty so, yeah, chubby. help him out. Go sure. ahead and subscribe. Subscribe. Smash that subscribe button, as the kids say. It's free. It takes about half a second, but you help us out tremendously. So please do that. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram too. We post a ton of additional content, analysis and stuff on there every day. We also interact with anyone who's willing to talk to us because we're sad and lonely people. So please connect with us on social media and we'll, we'll feel a lot better. Mike, the first half was a uh, roof, as, as I would describe, describe it. We were 20 games under 500, basically. Uh, many, myself included, expected the Royals to take a step forward this season. But thanks to some career-worst starts from guys like Carlos Santana, Whit Merrifield, and Salvador Perez, the Royals were out of contention after May and continued to hover around 20 games under 500. Now, for the most part, they've moved on to playing their younger guys, and the team has stabilized a little. They're playing roughly 500 baseball for the last six weeks. They look like a more competitive, interesting team, especially on the pitching side. We'll use our spotlight segment this week to look ahead to the second half and consider what we want to see from the Royals as they position themselves to progress next year as they were supposed to progress this year. Mike, let's start with the, a broad question. What are the top two things you want to see from the Royals in the second half? Well, I kind of just talked a little bit about this, but I want to see the young guys stay healthy. And then I think, I, and this is so, so something that's coming so, hopefully very soon, a, the trading of Whit Merrifield, Andrew Benintendi, and Michael A. Taylor for pieces that are going to help you compete in 23 and 24. I want to come out of this trade season and go, yes, I can really feel confident in the guys that we got and the direction that the team is in or is going in. Now, I'm not sure what that means as far as I, it's very tough to say it. Well, I know that they need pitching, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about this mm -hmm. here in a second, but I want to see, I want to be able to get those pieces back and go trading those guys benefited or is going to give help, give these guys a chance to win in 23 and 24. Like we felt after the Zach Greinke trade uh, in what was that? 2011, 2012, when we get back that haul from the Brewers, where you get Alcides Escobar, you get Lorenzo Cain, and then you get, you know, Jeffress and some, another piece. I can't remember who that was now that you end up flipping and turning over to other, into other guys. So I want to feel that feeling that Zach Grinky trade feeling when we get rid of hopefully Wit Benny and Michael A. Taylor. 
Yeah, here's the thing that's scaring me a little bit. We have nine days until the trade deadline gets here. I know. We have not <laughs> traded any of those three guys. What the I hell are we doing? I can't remember who I was talking to, but oh, it was, it was our, our yeah, it was our good friend Eric. I was talking to him last night, and I said, and he's like, yeah, what Merrifield's going to be playing on this team next year? I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it. Oh, I know. You're passing me that bottle. Yeah, yeah I know. That is exactly how <laughs> yeah. that interaction went, yes. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I worry that that's what's going to happen. I worry that it's like, hey, we have nine days left, and they're going to be like, no, we didn't get a good enough offer for any of them, so we're just hanging on to them. What are you doing? Like, are you going to get all – so at this point, here's what I'm thinking. Yes, Benintendi gets traded before the deadline. Think that's going to happen. Wit, I'm less certain about every second. And Emmett, Matt, Michael A. Taylor, I'm just pretty sure he's not going to go now because he should go. He absolutely should go. But they're going to be like, well, he's got another year. We'll just hang on to him, trade him next year, or see if he can help us next year. It's just that's that conservative Royals mentality is going to bite them in the ass yet again as they wait and wait and wait for a better and better offer that never comes. That is what's going to happen. It's it's just it's I have that fear in me that it's going to happen. You have nine days to trade at bare minimum three guys. That's the bare minimum you can you can trade to get over the hurdle for saying you had a competent trade deadline. Really, they should trade Barlow, too. But I could at least understand the arguments for not doing that. If they don't trade those three guys, they, they lost this trade deadline and they only have nine days left to do it. Do you think all three of them are going to get traded in nine days? No. What are the odds of that no. happening? No, because I think that's a good idea. And I thought it was a good idea. Like last year or last year, two years ago, we were saying, hey, you got to trade Whit Merrifield. You got to trade Carlos Santana. They didn't do that. And it's like, now I'm really surprised they got what they did out of Santana this year. But you can't tell me if you'd have traded him at the beginning, at the trade deadline, what was it, last year when he was last still year. hitting kind of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can't tell me you wouldn't have gotten more than that. So You would have. Yeah. Can't tell me if you wouldn't have traded Whit Merrifield three years ago, you would have gotten a frigging haul for him. Now you're going to get very little, right? And so, yeah, yeah. led the league in hits a couple yeah. of years ago. It's it's years. it's just this. I don't know what is going on in their mind when they're like, "Well, if we can't get exactly what we want, we'll take nothing instead." Insanity, insanity. <laughs> I don't know what's in their mind, but it's nuts. And so, yeah, don't get me started on all this garbage. Anyway. Um, my goals for the Royals at this, uh, you know, in the second half are pretty simple and that's find three consistent starters. Okay. We don't know who of this starting group is going to be there moving forward. It's looking like Brady Singer has pretty much solidified a spot. He looks like a guy moving forward. That's one. Other than that, can we really say that anybody else deserves to say, Hey, you're going to be here next year. You're going to be here in 2024. I don't think anybody else can. Booba just looked pretty good lately, but you really can't say because a lot of that looks like luck and good fortune because he's still walking too many guys, not striking that many guys out. And that's always a dangerous combo. Keller, as you said, got roughed up in his last outing, walked too many guys. Plus he's up after next year, I think. And so he doesn't have a lot of years left here in Kansas City, you know, unless they extend him in some way. Obviously, Lynch blister issues has never been super consistent. Kowar is in the bullpen. You know, Hernandez, who knows? A lot of, lot of uh, uncertainty around the starting rotation. I need them to have at least three answers in the starting rotation by the end of this year, right? Maybe it's Bubich. Maybe he keeps being consistent. Maybe, you know, somebody else comes up. Jonathan Bolin made his way back into the rotation. Maybe it's Zerpa. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it's Drew Parrish or something Maybe it's like a that. guy that we get that's a tr in AAA for a different team right now. Maybe it's a guy we get in, in, in trade. I don't know. But they need to find three starters by the end of this year that look like they're going to be solid rotation guys going into next year. Uh, that's what I'm really interested in. 
And then the other thing I'm interested in is figure out how you're going to get all the young hitters in this lineup on a consistent basis. So when Mike Massey comes up, which hopefully he will after Whit Merrifield is traded, when he comes up and is playing second every day, what role does Dozier have? What role does Nicky have? How do you fit Melendez and Salvi in the same lineup? A lot of questions to answer about how your lineup's going to look on a daily basis. Where's Emmanuel Rivera fit in? He's hit well lately. It's it's really a big mess right now. And, you know, good on them. They're trying to keep rotation high. They're trying to get guys in. But they're going to need to find out what their everyday lineup is against lefties and righties and that sort of thing. And hopefully they have that answered by the end of the year. That's what I want them finding out in the second half. Sorry, I think one of the big things here is this, what they do, what that figuring of those things out. And I'm glad you brought this up because this just dawned on me with you saying that. The Royals have often gotten off to really bad starts because so they bad. didn't know who their, what their best lineups were or what their best rotation was going into the beginning of a season. Now is when you start doing that. It's yeah, not spring absolutely. training next year. No. Now. No. Okay. Spring training means nothing. You should not base any decisions on spring training. Because they've waited so long to do those. You know, we're, we're out of the, we're out in May because you wait so long. Oh, oh really? We would have been better off having these other guys in here. Yeah, you would have <laughs> because you don't know because you don't use September for what it's for. Yeah, it's one of those things that's like that. That's where I really came up with the idea. I was like, well, what you need to do is prevent yourself from having another terrible April and May. Like if you if you can prevent yourself from being 20 games under at the end of May, then you give yourself a chance. But for this whole first half of the season, or at least for the last for the first few months, it felt like it very much felt like oh, the Reels are still trying to figure it out, especially in the rotation. Well, why the hell are you figuring it out right now? What what the hell has all this time been for, right? Like the spring and early and then last year, you know, they weren't competitive then either. What was that time for? Bubich and Singer and Hernandez, all these guys have been in the majors previously, in previous seasons. What was that time for, if not for figuring it out? You know what I'm saying? How long do mm-hmm. we need to figure it out? We're the slowest learning team in in Major League Baseball. We're like we're we're just it's just awful. And so yeah, hopefully they're like one they get a pitching coach in here who can learn a lot faster than Cal Eldred, and two they just need to figure the rest of this stuff out in the second half here instead of waiting until spring training. I want to talk about record and things like that. Like what should our performance actually look like? What do we hope to see record wise in the second half? Does it even matter what they do record wise or should we be even trying to win? I sort of want to consider those sorts of things before we you know, get too far in this conversation. Well, let me, let me explain. I understand tanking. I understand that tanking can be helpful, especially in things like the NFL where you get a shot to get the number one quarterback and things like that. But let's remember one thing. They're going to go to a lottery system at the top of the draft next year. If I'm not mistaken, correct? I believe that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's yes. no guarantee we're going to get a top pick if we lose the most games. Okay. I just, I, I think that the, there is value in taking a core of young players like this, like the Royals have in their lineup, especially and learning how to win in at, towards the end of a season. I think there's value in that. And so I don't want to see them try and lose. I don't want to see, I understand that it might be helpful in the tanking situation. I get that, but I think that winning still matters. So I want to see them around 500. And if they aren't, if they if they are losing more games or it's looking really bad, I'm okay with that too, as long as I can see individual progression. If I can see Brady Singer continuing to pitch like that and Chris Bubich taking a step forward to where we don't feel like some of these things are a little fluky and maybe Daniel Lynch comes up and is able to stay healthy and show some consistency. If I can see that and I can see some progression from those hitters, then we can record doesn't matter to me. 
but I would like to see them win and do that if I'm being greedy. Yeah, let's be greedy then, because I'd like to see them play around 500 baseball too. They've been doing it for six weeks now, roughly. You know, if they can play around 500, I'll be happy with where they are right now, you know, going into next year. I also greedily want to see like one fun winning streak. They haven't done anything like that yet this year where you can say like, Hey, this is exciting. You know, I'm excited even though they're out of contention they or whatever. Seven in a row. Yeah. They yeah. just won like eight, nine, 10 in a row. Wow. This is fun. You know, like I want to see one of those just to get the fan base juice a little bit, just to get the players building confidence and feeling the le- winning breeds, winning cultures. That's what's interesting. Like sometimes you have to have a winning culture to breed winning, but it can also breed a winning culture. If you get guys start to cohese around, you know, this notion that we're winning, we're having fun, you know, that sort of stuff. I want to see one of those fun winning streaks. I want to see a 500. I'm, I'm with you. I think tanking makes very little sense in baseball just because, especially with a lottery system, but just because also the volatility of draft picks, it's, it's way more than it is in the NFL. And so, you know, you might as well go ahead and try your best to win and have your players learn from that winning experience as much as they can. So yeah, I want to see Mike Massey up. I want to see guys get their chances and I want to see us playing around 500 baseball for the second half of the season. I think that's very doable. I think the talent is there. Hopefully the coaching gets out of the way or hopefully the coaching I'm thinking of gets fired, but that's probably not going to happen. So hopefully they just <laughs> keep going with Brady Singer. Bubich keeps building on that stuff and, and all that ends up sort of developing there. Uh, another big milestone of the second half is coming up and that's the trade deadline. August 2nd is the deadline for trades. Nine days away. We mentioned that. Mike, what do you want to see the Royals get coming out of this trade deadline? What sort of assets do you think they really need to get in the trade deadline to be more competitive moving forward? Okay, so let's say they get rid of all three of the guys we would like them to. We think is the bare minimum for them to get rid of to have a successful trade deadline. Whit Merrifield, Michael A. Taylor, and Andrew Benintendi. If you get rid of those three guys, you're going to get several players, right? It's not just going to be three, probably. And so I think, though, if you get rid of all three of those guys, here's what you at minimum need to get back. At least one starting pitcher that is close to Major League Ready and at least one position player that is close to Major League Ready. If they get those two things, now they'll get other stuff too, but if they get one one of each of those, I will consider that, hey, we traded these three guys to make room for some of our younger guys and we got a starting pitcher and a position player who are close to Major League Ready. I will consider that a win or vice versa. Let's say you get two starting pitchers that are close to major league ready. I'm fine with that too. I am not okay with two position players that are major league ready because there's just no room for them at this point. Yes. You can do two starting pitchers or you can do one and one. You can't do two positions. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm actually not even interested in them targeting position players. Not, not is in terms of centerpieces of trades. Anyway, I want the centerpieces of their trades to be starting pitching because we have a ton of position player talent. We are going to be fine as a lineup and as a, you know, a position player roster. But here's the thing. I have a dream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My dream is named Jason Dominguez and he plays oh, for the New York Yankees. He's Yankees their number one prospect a. that is never going to happen. Get that. No, he's, get not, he's their number three Not according prospect. to MLB Pipeline. Yeah, he's, he's their not, number three not, prospect. Not uh, you want to bet? I, I looked you at it bet? today. All right. Mark is going to owe me a substantial amount of his net worth no, by the no, end of this no, no, podcast. No, no, no. Because Fine. he you owes have, me. You can have. He's number three. You can have the the Entenmann's cake I have in or the. You can have the 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 you know two cents on my floor and the you know this welcome to Chicago mug I own. <laughs> That's the total of my net worth you at this broke. point. You it broke. doesn't matter. They're not giving um, up Jason Dominguez. Okay, so get that out of your mind. I don't think they are either. But if so, if somehow they're like, hey, we don't go think into Dominguez a Facebook comment gonna... and throw that around there because that's where that garbage comment belongs. 
and so, yeah, no. But he's a long-term guy. And really what I'm saying is if, if that's the kind of situation where you get a, a position player where he's a high-A guy with a high ceiling. Fine, yeah. If Jason you're going to get a position is, player, get a position player okay. who's a, you know, a long way away or who's like not the centerpiece of your trade. I want starting pitching near major league ready as the centerpiece of every trade that they do. I want as many of those guys as they can get in here. Why? Because pitching is a crapshoot, at least in the Royal system where they don't actually know what they're doing, developing pitching. And I want the next regime of pitching development because the, frankly, Paul Gibson should be fired. And so should the rest of their pitching development people, because their minor league pitching development has been complete garbage this year. They should be fired. And if they are, I want the next group to have as much you know, inventory of pitching prospects as they can have and they can find. And so get as many good major near major league ready pitching prospects as you can in here in, in the, at the trade deadline. Other than that, you're kind of just you know jerking around. You're not doing anything, bringing in a whole bunch more position players who guess what? Have no place to play because you already have a full roster of position players. We brought up the coaching staff a couple of times now, and I, I know it gets my blood boiling to think about how, frigging terrible they're just allowed to be what really gets me is imagine how much money these people make for being terrible at their jobs that's what kills me like they make a bunch of money for being garbage give me that money i can be really bad as a major league pitching coach i will be you know i can be bad as a, as a major as league a, pitching coach as a pitching coordinator i can be bad at it i'll do it like, just give it to me i'll do it for half the money yeah i'll do it for half the money i'll be just as bad as as cal eldritter or paul gibson give me half the money i'm fine with that um, but in terms of coaching staff, front office stuff, do you anticipate any changes in the second half? I know a lot of people want them, but if, if not, then when, and what sort of changes do you want? Let's talk about what the Royals would do if they were smart and, you know, we're, we're really invested in developing these young pitchers. They would for sure, they, well, one, they would have already gotten rid of Cal Eldred, but they would for sure get rid of him before September, even you know, August coming up here because you would then use that time for your new pitching coach to develop those guys at the major league level. Right. Exactly. That makes sense. They won't do that. <laughs> they what won't a do that, novel concept. Right? Oh, what a novel. Give a pitching coach time to help players get better. Why won't they do what that? Because Cal Eldred is too good of a guy. <laughs> right. He's a, he's a real slap on the back kind of dude. Heck of a Love guy. to sit in a duck so, blind with him. He's just a hell of a duck yeah. blind partner. <laughs> and so, uh, but I think, I think they do make a change over the off season. I, I don't see how you can't and still rationalize like that. You're any good at your job as, as the guy who makes those decisions, Dayton more. So I think, I think he's going to be gone. I think Cal Eldred is going to be gone. I do not think Paul Gibson is going to be gone because he's only been in that role for technically a year and the Royals give way longer than that. Should he be gone? Yeah, he probably should. Their minor league system right now for developing pitching has been awful. It's been awful. straight terrible this year. Asa Lacey looks like he might be a bullpen guy now. They, they pitched him out of the bullpen. A bad game. one. Looks like he yeah. might be a bad <laughs> bullpen guy at this point. Um, and you spent you know a top five pick on him. And, you know, you just haven't seen any progression from Alec Marsh this year. Will Klein has not looked great this year. Um, Angel Zerpa, you know, he's pitched a little, did okay in the major league level, but he didn't look great in the minors either. So it's, it's, it's been bad. It's been really, really bad. And that doesn't even count the Carlos Hernandez takes a step back. Chris Bubich looked really bad for half a year. You know, Daniel Lynch has been inconsistent. Coar looks terrible. You know, nothing, nothing has looked good pitching development wise. And 
you know, if they were really transactional, if they were the type of team that made changes quickly, I think Paul Gibson would be out, but I don't think he's going to be. If they were that type of team, he never would have been in. <laughs> they Possibly. would have gone with somebody yeah. else completely. They would have gone, yeah, and yeah, that'll be, uh, and a lot of this will be in the video that I'm putting out, hopefully by the end of this week on pitching development. But yeah, I don't think you're going to see changes at the top, but I do think Cal Eldred will be gone. Yeah, I just, I, I have no sense, I have no conception of how they could let Cal Eldred keep his job over the offseason. We've talked very much about what's lost if you, by not making the move right now. And I think it's very important to note that like, you don't get a sense of who could be in your rotation. You're, you're, you're basically bagging 2023 by not changing your pitching coach right now, right? You're saying we're going to go into 2023 with still uncertainty about our rotation because we haven't seen any of these guys with this pitching coach at the major league level yet. If they do change in the off season, they're still not going to know what these guys can do with this pitching coach at the major league level until the season starts. So it's all uncertainty there. You've basically just bagged your 2023 already by not changing pitching coaches right now when you should. Yeah. And as a part of that, here's something that happens at the end of every year, at the end of every year, the pitching coach, the pitching development guy, like the, sometimes the GM stuff like that, they sit down and create plans for these pitchers for things for them to do in the off season. You're now going to be asking a guy, like, let's say they get rid of Cal Udred at the end of the year and bring in a new guy. He will have no input for that because he wasn't here. If you bring him in now, he will have time to de help develop those plans for those pitchers for the off season moving into spring training next year. And so I, yeah, it really does hurt by waiting. Yeah. Waiting really, really hurts. The Royals start this week with a three game stretch to finish off their home stand here before heading to New York for a four game series against the mighty New York Yankees. Maybe they can just leave Benintendi in New York, Mike. They can just sort of like leave him there and say, all right, send, send him. What do you think? Is that a useful strategy? Every once in a while you see a guy just, hey, I got traded. I'm just going over to the other dugout. Like, it, it, I'm you telling know, you right now. Okay, we're recording this Sunday, July 24th. It's it's 6.50 p.m. I was on Twitter earlier, and I just got this real sense from some stuff I was seeing that a trade was going down. And I'm like, would it be hilarious if they like trade Benintendi like, in a day or two, and then they fly to New York and they play against him. Like, <laughs> that'd be cool. That'd be wild, right? Uh, so I mean, hopefully that happens. The likelihood they don't get just crushed by that juggernaut anyway. Oh no, they're going to get crushed. They got so. swept last time. But what's interesting is like, it's pr because of the luck that you and I have, we're recording right now. They're probably going to announce a trade tomorrow morning. I would imagine just to screw mm -hmm. us in some way. They probably hate us. <laughs> and so just to screw us, they're probably announced that tomorrow morning. So, but tell us about the angels. They're up first. We're heading to a game in the series. Tell us about it. Yeah, they are. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to be out there on Tuesday, right? Yeah. yeah Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start off this series with Zach Grenke versus Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard, the 29 year old righty uh, started his career off with the Mets. We remember him from the world series. Ha 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 beat. We lost, we lost to him, right? Didn't we? We had that uh, conversation earlier this year. I think we lost his start and won the Matt start. And you oh, were yes, like, no, yes, in the world, way, in the world series. Wrong. Yes, I was. I was wrong. That we, was the we, uh, first time you owed me your net worth. No. Now will well, be the second time. Well, okay. you know what? I'm, you know, I'll pay for enough. I'm giving you a ride home from the game on Tuesday. That'll do. <laughs> Deal. All right. Um, Syndergaard's not having a great season. He's got a four ERA and a 1.20 whip. He doesn't throw nearly as hard as he did when he was with the Mets. He's got a fastball averaging 94. Also throws changeup, slider, curveball. He gave up five earned runs and 7.1 to us back in June. So I'd take that again. I'll oh, take yeah. five runs against him in seven innings. 
We don't know yet who will be pitching on Tuesday for the Royals because of the injury situations that they've had. Could be a situation where we get Zerpa and Hernandez kind of combining. They cannot afford to do a full bullpen game. They really can't. But I imagine it'll be a combination of maybe some of those guys. Zerpa, Hernandez, um, against Jose Suarez, a 24-year-old left-hander with a 5.6 ERA and a 1.58 whip. Now you're seeing why the Angels aren't more competitive. Yeah, Outside of uh, Shohei, they, they don't have a whole lot going on. Um, in the starting rotation. Uh, he's got a fastball in the low 90s, a changeup, a curveball, a slider. Hitters are destroying his low 90s fastball with a 339 batting average and a 661 slugging. So let's Ouch. really jump all over Jose Suarez because we have no idea who will be pitching in that game. So we may need some runs. In the third game, it's going to be Keller versus we don't know. So we know what Brad Keller can bring to the show. Hopefully he bounces back, but we don't know who the pitcher is going to be for them. Looks like we are going to miss Shohei Otani though. He will be uh, pitching, I think Thursday I saw. So we're going to miss him for this series, which is good. They are very top heavy in their lineup with Ward, Trout, and Otani. Two of the best, probably the two, I'd say easily the two best baseball players in the world in Trout and Otani. Yet this team can't ever win, which is is kind of hilarious. And as a Royals fan, I'm always looking for company (laughs) in my misery. So come on over here, Angels fans. We understand what you got going on. After that, we're heading to New York. Speaking of misery. We're going to New York. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the Yankees are 65 and 31. That puts them first in the AL East by like 12, 13, 14 games. They're also tied for the best winning percentage in all of baseball with the Dodgers. So uh, real good team. They swept the Royals back in April. We don't have probables yet for this game. Obviously that then we never do for the second series. Offensively, they have guys like, I don't know, Aaron judge. Have you heard of him? He's an AL MVP candidate. Have you heard of him? <laughs> really good. Uh, he's about 6'7", 280 pounds, but for some reason chose to play baseball. That's a really good uh, and then, uh, decision by he him. He also <laughs> plays outfield with you know, Giancarlo Stanton, who hits balls you know, to the moon. Um, yeah, yeah. Anthony Rizzo, also in that lineup. Glaber Torres, they're all having great years. Good lineup. What really sets them apart, though, is their pitching. Their starting rotation is friggin' insane. They got Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, Jordan Montgomery, Jamison Tyon, and Luis Severino, who's hurt right now. So, you know, probably not going to face him, but their top five starters all have ERAs under four and four of them have ERAs under three and a half. That's their starting rotation Insane. their bullpen is great too. And so, yeah, they're an amazing team. That's probably going to kick the shit out of the Royals, but hopefully we grab at least one win in that four game set. I'll take one. And then hopefully we we take the angel series because we're hot right now. We're hot. We got it. We won a series. Let's keep it going. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. A lot going on outside the world of baseball. Mike, tell us what's interesting to you. What have you been doing? I'm sure it's something boring that 90-year-old people do on a regular basis. You are correct, sir. Last night, <laughs> I hung out with some of our friends, and we played Rummy. Thanks Okay. Thanks for the invite, by the way. Thank you for the invite hey, there. I haven't seen Oxford in years. Nobody so wants to hang out with you, okay? Nobody wants That's to hang true. out with you. That is true. Uh, we played rummy because we're old people. And I decided, like, why why isn't there more card playing? Like, outside of prisons. Why isn't there more card playing? We, <laughs> we uh, you know, we played pitch in high school religiously. Like, when there was free time, we did 10-point pitch in, in, at Maryville High School was a thing like it happened all the time and 
now it's like, oh, well, let's go entertain ourselves by going to a movie. Here's 60 bucks. Let's go to this thing. There's a hundred dollars. It's like, wait, let's bust out this 98 cent pack of cards and play a card game. It's fun. You can, if you want to, you can throw money on that stuff. You know, it's, you can have a libation or two while you do it. And it's social and competitive and awesome. And it costs next to nothing. Play more card games. If you are a person that follows us on Twitter and you have an interesting or good card game, you can play with multiple people, tweet that to us so I can learn how to play it. Because right now we're, we play rummy and that's fun and stuff, but I'd like to learn some others. So card games, why don't we do them more people? Good question. All the people want to know. Why aren't we playing card games? Even more? even the young people. Let's sure, go young people. Sure. Play your card bridge games. like your bridge club. Your bridge club wants to know well, why you don't play more card games? Uh that's yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh I'm talking about uh something like a business that somebody told me about recently. I I, I go to this bar frequently called Madison's. Actually it's like a restaurant, I guess, but they have a bar. And there's this guy who bartends there, his name is Cooper, real nice guy, super nice guy. But he started this apparel company called Poppy Hawk. Play on and words. uh Play on words, yes. That, that is a pun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's interesting. I, I went and looked at it. It's like a golf apparel company. Mike and I both love golf. I went and looked at it, and it's like a – I don't know how to describe it. It's Right now, it's like Jayhawk-themed golf apparel, but all the designs are original. And so, like, I don't know how to describe it. You'll just have to go check it out. It's 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 a really interesting I, – I forget. It's like itspoppyhawk.com. And they also have an Instagram, so you can go see that and stuff like that. But it's a really interesting design. And I was talking to him the other night, and he's like, we're about to expand to, you know, Mizzou stuff and K-State stuff and all this sort of thing. So if you're interested in some golf apparel, it's really cool looking stuff. It's kind of, it's a little bit more uh, upscale. And so, yeah. Did he give you free dinner for this? He did not. He he does not give me free stuff. He's not paying anything. I just figured, hey. I like this stuff. It's really cool. And so why not just tell people about it? I just learned about it. And he's a really nice guy. So why not say, hey, you know, like take a look at his stuff. Um, and, you know, if you're especially if you're a Jayhawk person, you'll love this stuff because I am not a Jayhawk person, but it's a really cool design anyway. And so, uh, yeah, you might check that out if you're interested in golf apparel. That's what it is. It's also like head covers and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, and they might be expanding to Tiger stuff soon, too. I'd be much more interested in the Tiger stuff because I'm uh, much more interested in Mizzou than I am. If you make some Northwest Missouri state university stuff, I'm all over it. And so, uh, but yeah, check that (laughs) stuff out. Poppy Hawk is an interesting uh, apparel company. If you're into golf stuff, which Mike is, I am a lot of duffers out there. I want to do remind you of something else. And that is subscribe to our YouTube channel. Mike's going to put out this awesome video here before too long. We'll put on another one midweek this week, like comment on all those follow us on all the social medias. We are doing our best to uh, expand and connect to people. So please make sure you're, you're liking and following us on YouTube. That'll be a lot of, uh, a, a lot of help to us. We will see you again next week. As always, until then be good to each other and go Royals.